The Thessalonian Christians were role models. In 1 Thessalonians, and you can look there, I'm going to hopscotch before we get into our, our section this morning. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes and says, You became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. They were a living testimony. They were an example of what to do as a follower of Jesus. Now, there are a lot of people today that are kind of making it up as they go. Uh, they're not reading the Bible. They don't know what God's word says. So they're more influenced by culture, uh, by social media than they are by God who has given us his word as a light into our, our path. And we as Christians would do well if we studied the word of God, that we knew it from cover to cover so that we might live it out and be an example as the Thessalonians were to their region. The Thessalonians were not only role models, uh, but they were witnesses. And I think those things go hand in hand. And if you're following Jesus, then it's going to be a natural thing for you to be a witness, a light in a dark world. If you know what God's word says, if you're being holy as he is holy, whether you realize it or not, there is going to be a tangible witness from your life. There is going to be something different about you, and it will be noticeable. In 1 Thessalonians 1, the following verse, verse 8, it says, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. So Irvine, Tustin, Santa Ana, Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, Lake Forest, Santa Margarita, Mission Viejo, we start moving out now, uh, Fountain Valley, start moving more north, Huntington Beach, start moving more south, Elisa Viejo. The word of God all of a sudden starts to spread because a church was the witness. The church was a role model. And these witnessing Christians were also reproducing Christians. And this is speaking, you know, of course, not of uh, Christians that were uh, having babies, you know, and they, they, they have a child and there is born to them a baby Christian. Uh, I wish that that were the case, but it's not. Every individual has to make their own decision whether or not they're going to follow Jesus or not. It would be amazing for Christian parents to be able to birth a baby little Christian. Uh, no, usually it's quite the opposite that gets birthed. <laughs> and you have to teach them what it means to do what is right, what it means to do what pleases God. And you train up your children in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. But this church reproduced. It meant because they were a witness and because their faith was being displayed, it was something that caused other people to want what they had. They wanted to know how they could have peace in the midst of storms. They wanted to know how they could have forgiveness of sins when they carry baggage with them that just wraps around this property ten times. They wanted to know how they could have no fear of death because they know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. See, the same things that we're studying today contextually that took place thousands of years ago in the beginning of the new church is the same thing that mankind is facing today. And the way that the world is able to hear about that there is a hope and that there is a God in heaven who loves them is through the church communicating that truth. So they were witnessing Christians. They were reproducing Christians. They were role model Christians. And in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, it says they forsook their false God, their false gods. 
Listen to what verse 9 says. It says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. How, you know, the type of impact we had with you. And it says this, How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And that is the true mark of repentance. You turn from pursuing things that are against God, and you start pursuing the Lord himself. William McDonald said this, and I quote, It wasn't that they had become fed up with their idols and then decided to give God a chance. No, they turned to God and found him so satisfying that they dropped their idols. End of quote. There was something very special and very radical that took place in the city of Thessalonica. There was something very, very real that happened because once they experienced God, they didn't want any of the substitutes for him. And really, we have that God-shaped void, as you've probably no doubt heard it spoke of before. That each of us have a God-shaped void that only God can fill. And you can try to fill that void with money or experiences or relationships or possessions or pleasure or whatever it might be. But you will never fill that void with anything apart from the Lord. It was something very real that took place in the Thessalonians' lives. And it was evident in how they were a witness to the world around them. This was something that was real. It wasn't just a a ranting and raving on, on social media. It wasn't just a post. It was more than rioting and even persecution could stomp out. It was more than a motivational talk could be influential with. The change that took place in these Christians' lives was a lasting change, and it brought about real, tangible results. Now listen, in the world we live in today, there are people that will play to the crowd. They they will play to the crowd. They will give their audience exactly what they want to hear. Unfortunately, church is no exception to that rule. And through it, it seems that through even the church, it's becoming increasingly prevalent to have people get up on stage and tell people in the audience what they want to hear. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. He said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine." But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to to fables. But then Paul writes to Timothy and says, But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. We're living in the time that Paul was referring to in 2 Timothy 4. That time that would come, this is the time. The time where people have itching ears and they find teachers that tickle those ears just the right way. They will desire, it says, even in the church, people that are in the structure, in the congregation of the church, that will desire evil things and want a pastor to reassure them that those evil desires are okay. Does that sound familiar to any of you today? And because they want a pastor that will tell them what they're doing is okay and they want God's stamp of approval on things he clearly does not approve of, they will persecute and they will seek to silence and humiliate anyone that disagrees with their sinful desires. They'll turn completely from the truth and believe fairy tales. But unlike fairy tales of old, 
their fairy tale that they choose to believe in does not have a happily ever after. See, the truth of the matter is that telling people what they want to hear, tickling or flattering, will not be beneficial for the hearer at all, and it will bring strong condemnation upon the storyteller. So when Paul says now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5, he says, For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is our witness. He's like, you know what kind of person I was? You know the type of message that I was delivering. I mean, if you think about it, flattery, we can employ it very often, sometimes in jest, sometimes seriously. Flattery is, at best, superficial. It only really plays to the lusts of the flesh. You know, like at the midpoint of summer, which we kind of just crossed over, and somebody's been on their training program, and they're trying to lose weight. And you're like, hey, wait a second. Did you lose weight? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, well, let me see you. Turn around. And they turn sideways. And you're like, where'd you go? Flattery. Flattery typically has an accomplice. And you know what his name is? Ulterior motives. I'll tell you something that you want to hear so I can get something from you that I want to have. And it's a very common practice for people to come through town, especially in the context of our study, travel through this, you know, the city with some new special something that uh, they had to share that that would require payment for that special information to be received. That would require payment if you want the inside scoop on the truth and, you know, you're going to have to uh, front some money. To make it relatable today, there may be churches that will forsake sound biblical teaching in order to retain certain individuals that would be quote unquote classified as large donors. See, the flip side of what would be large donors that donate in order to have control or to manipulate the church is the leadership in the church that are beholden to that. There are people in churches today that will say, you know, I will tithe money to this church, but there's a stipulation. There's a catch. You know, I want controlling interest in this area and I can threaten to withdraw, you know, my financial support if you don't do what I want you to do. Because of this, because this happens in churches across the country, your church Vision City Church is committed to teaching the whole counsel of God regardless of who may or may not like it. And that's very important. In addition, the person that is tithing, as is the correct description of worshiping the Lord through the giving of finances, is giving exactly out of that, out of worship to the Lord, not as an incentive to buy or to leverage their own agenda with the church. So Paul didn't mince his words. He didn't change them to fit the desires of his audience, though by so doing, he probably would have been able to benefit from it. Paul could have benefited if he would have changed certain things and maybe presented his message in a different way. Maybe if he would have charged in order to have that message given. But it wasn't about Paul benefiting. Actually, it was quite the opposite. Listen to Paul's heart for those that were lost. In Romans 9, 1 through 3, Paul writes and says, I tell the truth in Christ and I'm not lying. 
my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. And you might ask why. Well, then you read verse 3 and he tells you, he says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. This is a supernatural type of love for those that are lost. Here is a man, Paul, whose desire for his friends, his family, his community, and even abroad, his desire for them to receive salvation is so great that he wished that, if, that it would be possible that he might be cut off in order that they might be saved. And might I just tell you, a man like Paul with principles and conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit is an unstoppable force for good. Paul didn't come to the Thessalonians because he wanted something that they had. Thus, he states that he was not wearing a cloak of covetousness. So if you read that, he's like, what's the cloak of covetousness? Is it a Batman cow or something like that? No, he's saying, I didn't come with you under the guise of getting something from you. I'm not going to befriend you because it will help me. I'm not going to help you so that I can get something from you that I want. I am going to, Paul, his heart being communicated, Paul would be stating, I am going to genuinely come to you with no ulterior motives attached. I don't know if you realize this or not, preaching the gospel didn't help Paul. And more than likely, when you share the gospel with somebody, it's not going to help you personally as much as it's going to help the person that you're sharing it with. It might even cost you something to share the gospel. It might even cost you something, make you feel uncomfortable, a little uneasy. Maybe you'll get yelled at. Maybe you'll get persecuted. I don't know. It could be very difficult for you. Preaching actually brought bad things upon Paul's head if you look at the scriptures. So he's like, I didn't come trying to get something from you and I definitely wasn't using any flattery. In the Bible, you can jot this down, there are 14 times that the Bible references flattery and they're all in the negative sense. Proverbs 26 verse 28 says, A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it and a flattering mouth works ruin. We need to be careful of how we communicate. Because there are those that hurt people with the words that they speak. And the Bible even says that they show their hatred towards others as their words bring ruin. Additionally, in Romans 16, verse 18, it says, For those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And listen to this. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and a faithful minister of Christ without faithfully communicating God's word. See, the true minister, the true servant of Jesus, which I hope we all are today. And if you're not today, then at the end of the service, you'll have that opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and have your sins forgiven and have the fear of what happens after this life removed, knowing that you can be eternally with the Lord. But the true minister, the true servant, will not concern himself with how the message will be received. Just let me throw this out there. Pay attention to these things. You, me. We should not be concerned with how the message will be received, but rather with how the message will be delivered on behalf 
of whom it was given to be communicated to the world around us. So often we worry about what will happen if I say it, as opposed to just being faithful to say it. We're worried about how it will be received instead of how it will be delivered. Now listen, if you spend any time public speaking, ironically, I used to be extremely fearful, hated public speaking. Little did I know that God would call me to do that. But good speakers, good speakers make efforts to know their audience. That's true. They design their speech to get that audience to feel at ease. Okay. However, if all the speaker or the pastor does is make you feel at ease, but their words are without any substance and tailored to do nothing but flatter, then that is a problem. Because flattery is used to appeal to a person emotionally as opposed to even logically or spiritually. Now, don't get me wrong. I am so excited to be back at church. I have missed it terribly. And there is nothing wrong with church being over and you feeling good. Man, that time of worship, wow, the opportunity to study God's word, it ministered to me, it met me exactly where I'm at, I'm recharged for the week ahead. There's nothing wrong with that. However, if the church thinks that it's its mission, that its mission is to make people feel good, the church is wrong. The church isn't designed to make you feel good, to tickle your ears. Because when we want to do that, then we won't talk about sin or hell or death or reaping what you're sowing. We won't talk about Jesus dying on the cross because, you know, that doesn't make people feel good. Doesn't make people feel good. Sorry, I was just checking to see if that fan was on because it's like 5,000 degrees up here. Boy, it's a quick way to drop weight like wrestling, man. It's up here right now. There was a whole movement in the church called the seeker-friendly movement. It was a church model that was designed or based upon not making people feel uncomfortable to the extent that they stopped teaching whole portions of the Bible. They stopped teaching whole sections. They said, we're going to remove this section. We're not going to talk about any of these particular talking points because we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. That is a shame. We are not responsible for how the message is received. We are responsible as an ambassador or somebody that is sent on behalf of God to deliver to you the whole truth of God's word. And then you, as your own man or woman, are able to to decide whether you want to receive it or reject it. So stop putting so much pressure on yourself as to how it will be received and just very simply communicate the truth of the gospel and let the Lord do what he wants to do. So in verse 6, he says, as he continues on, nor did we seek glory from men either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as, apostle, as apostles of Christ. Now, there's not a whole lot of earthly glory connected to being in the ministry. 
There's, whole, there's not a whole lot of earthly glory connected to telling people what they don't want to hear. I mean, be, be real. There's not a whole lot of uh, glory that comes from being the person that tells people what they don't want to hear, that they don't like to hear. But see, Paul wasn't concerned with his own glory or his popularity for that matter. And that is a very good thing. It's a very freeing thing for the Christian. To be able to say, you know what, I'm not concerned with the glory of man. I'm not concerned with my popularity. I'm not concerned with how many followers I have on social media or on my blog. I'm concerned with doing what God has called me to do. There is great freedom that is found there. Paul had more important things to do than to be bogged down by what with to be bogged down by what other people thought of him. I can't be concerned with what's happening in somebody else's mind, in somebody else's life as they view what I'm called to do. This doesn't mean that I'm insensitive. This doesn't mean that I'm being a jerk. This just means that I have a higher authority that I'm accountable to, and I'm going to stand before God as his servant and give an account for everything that he has called me to do, as those people will over there. So they can love it or they can hate it. They can be neutral on it. They can come against me. They can be for it. That's between them and God. I need to do what God's called me to do. See, often... I think it's our own insecurities that will lead us down a path of relying upon the approval of others. See, Paul was securely approved by God and found security in that security. And what a healing thing that is. Maybe you grew up with with huge insecurities. I think we all did to some extent, I'm sure. Maybe we matured out of them, became an adult, or maybe we're still living in them today. I'm not sure. But I can tell you one thing is for, sure, for certain is that if you truly know who you are in Christ, and if you truly desire to do what is right, then you will find great security in knowing that God is with you and he approves of what you're doing. Because at that point, you don't need recognition from men, as Paul did not. He did not need recognition from the church or from others. He didn't use his position of authority to get, but to give. So he wasn't about to make any demands, as he says here in verse 6. Though Paul had the right to receive financial support as an apostle, support from the church that he was ministering to, he didn't demand anything from them. Now, I hate to pull the, you know, the, the curtain back a little bit, but in the church abroad, It's always blown me away that when I've asked somebody over the years to come and maybe be a guest speaker or even come and do some special music, I'm absolutely blown away that upon that invitation that the very first thing that some people ask me is this, what is the budget? Now listen, if you're worrying, don't worry. Because no one that has ever asked me that question has ever been here before or ever will be. Hey, can you do my father's memorial? Well, what's the budget? Could you imagine if I asked asked that? Hey, can you come speak at our youth event? Hey, what's the pay? Hey, can you share the gospel at this outreach? Well, what's it worth to you? Paul set the example. He did what God called him to do, and he didn't care who liked it, who didn't like it. He knew that God was going to take care of him. 
He knew that God was going to provide for him. He knew that God had approved him for the work that he was doing, and he was okay with that. And because of that perspective, in verse 7, it says, We were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. You know, I see Ruth, and I, I, I speak of Ruth a lot because I'm amazed by her all the time. I actually call her Ruth Amazing. I just do. Because there's so many things that I find like, who are you? Uh, she's so kind and loving to our children. She's still pulling all-nighters with baby Georgie, and she's still nice. If I was pulling all-nighters for the last four months, I probably would no longer be in the ministry. <laughs> but really, what Paul's saying here in verse 7 is the heart, a right heart, being displayed to the church. And if you have not gathered this yet from our few verses that we read this morning, Paul had a heart that was after God's own heart. As an ambassador for Christ, he sought to represent Christ to the T. Paul was actually, if you read the epistles and through church history, Paul was critiqued and severely mistreated by the churches time and time again. And they were churches that he planted. You might think today in 2020, how in the world could Paul the apostle be mistreated? Garrett, yeah, I understand you, but Paul, come on. What on earth? Listen, you'd be surprised. I was surprised with people that I looked up to and how they were terribly mistreated by others. I was blown away. People that I respected immensely were treated so terribly by other people. I was shocked. You'd be surprised. But Paul was gentle with them. Paul was kind. You know, this is unlike some churches today where there's a very unhealthy culture of treating employees. Like there are churches as they grow that there's a real toxic, just say corporate culture. I guess it's probably the best way of describing it. Where employees are, are not treated very well. Over the fa uh, last probably five to ten years, there have been a couple of very high-profile pastors that were moved from their churches due to an abusive, uh, 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 an abusive type of work environment. You can get to a place of authority and you think that it's okay to mistreat people. But Paul nursed the church. He treated them well, like a good mommy or a good mom to their little baby. Kind, gentle, patient. We need more of that type of leadership in the church today. And so in verse 8 he says, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. You know what a blessing it is to have somebody in your life that thinks that you're dear to them? You're dear to me. I appreciate you. I'm concerned with you. I love you. Paul had a love for God's creation, namely mankind. 
Paul found joy in giving and serving the people of Thessalonica, the Thessalonians there. When most people would be put out, Paul would put himself in. When most people would be inconvenienced, Paul was there doing the work nobody wanted to do. He wanted to show them what it was like to personally know God, know the God who created them and sent his only son to die for them. And I think we'd have to all agree that there is something so real about the person who knows God and then shows God to others by, by how they care for others. Knows God, shows God to the world around them by how they treat people. And he says in verse 9, For you, brethren, you remember our labor and our toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. Now there are a few things I'd like to draw to your attention here in verses 9 and 10. Is number one is this. They worked hard. This is a hugely important trait of someone doing the work of the Lord. You know, I've heard stories of missionaries that were in other countries that were receiving huge financial support and then there were reports of them not doing anything at all. One of the things that your church's leadership pays particular attention to, especially with those that want to be involved with serving or leading, is their work ethic. Their work ethic. Some people think, oh, you're just going to ministry or serving at a church because you can't do anything else with your life. Now, actually, the majority of people that have made impacts in ministry have actually been very successful outside People that were working just normal jobs outside. And then God called them to the high calling of ministry. Working hard should go hand in hand with the work of the ministry. In the Greek language, that couple of words, labor and toil, actually could be put into a phrase that would sound like this. You remember our beating and much difficulty. They took a beating. In some cases it was literally, others it was metaphorically, but it was difficult in both senses. Now listen, I'll tell you from firsthand experience, doing the work of God is extremely rewarding. Knowing that you did what was right and didn't back down in the face of adversity. But as rewarding as that may be, you do take it on the chin from time to time. You will, you know, go through the, the school, uh, ministry school of hard knocks, I guess you could say. But the genuine article of faith found in the genuine follower of Jesus is only strengthened during trials. And when you go through those difficult moments, and as your faith is being strengthened, your faith then becomes displayed as a witness for all the world to see that you know Jesus. And one of the ways that our relationship with Jesus should be communicated is through our work ethic. Secondly, so first they worked hard. This is verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2. Secondly, it says they preached the gospel. Now there are times that the servants of the Lord, you and me, Listen, I hate to break it to you. You ready for this? I'm about to drop the mic on this. You better pay attention. There are times we just don't feel like doing what God's called us to do. We just don't feel it. 
I don't want to do that. I seriously do not want to do what God has asked me to do or told me in his word that I should do. We may even, like Jonah, try to run from that calling. We'll run in the opposite direction of the Lord. Or we could be like Jeremiah, who, did you know that Jeremiah, that famous Old Testament prophet, said that he had determined that he would not speak the word of God anymore. I don't know if you know that or not. I find that fascinating because he is one of the most famous and well-known Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah. This is what he said in the book after his name, chapter 20, verse 9. It says, Jeremiah speaking, Then I said, I will not make mention of God, nor speak any more in his name. I've had it. They're persecuting me. They're mistreating me. They're not listening to what I'm saying. Did you know Jeremiah never even had one convert his entire ministry? Talk about discouraging times. So he says, forget it. I'm not saying another word anymore. I've had it. But then it goes on to say in verse, the second half of verse 9, it says, but his word, but God's word was in my heart like a burning fire. And it was shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. And so he began to speak again. And you might try to run from it. You might try to not say anything. You might try to douse that light of your witness. But there's going to come a point where you're going to be like, I can't hold it back. If you try to fight against the will of God, you will run into a wall. See, the man or the woman that is filled with the Holy Spirit and has the message of the truth of God inside their heart They cannot do anything but share the gospel with the world around them. Now, this isn't talking about being some weird church person. Now, some people think, well, people in church are weird. Yeah, that's true. And people outside of church are weird, too. There's weird people everywhere. But when it comes to knowing the truth of God's word, the Christian, you don't have to be strange. You don't have to be an odd person to share the gospel. But if you're truly filled with the Holy Spirit and you have a genuine love for those that are hurting, you cannot help but point them to Jesus. You have these conversations with those that are hurting and, you know, you you, you shouldn't be in the place to just say, well, you know, good luck. I, I hope all those terrible things work out for you in the end. When you know what they need is a prayer or some real help. Now, you will find, if you've not found this already, that in the course of conversations, you will be prompted by the Holy Spirit with what I like to call an insert me here prompting. I don't know if any of you have had that or if you've ever wondered what it was called. Well, it's actually called an insert me here. You're talking to somebody and they're sharing something with you and the Holy Spirit will put something on your heart or on your mind to share with them. And then immediately, what do we do? We do the song and dance, and we go all the way back to the beginning of what we were just talking about in sharing the gospel. How will it be received instead of how will I be able to deliver it? Don't be trapped with how it will be received. Just deliver it. You'll be blown away by how God will use you in the most random places at the most random times to accomplish his work. 
Those opportunities can present themselves anywhere. They have for me. At any given moment. I remember when I worked at Tommy Bahamas, my early call, Bible college days in Maui. As I, uh, uh, they had a restaurant on one side and a, and a retail shop on the other side. And I remember the Lord as clear as day just impressing it upon my heart that I needed to go tell the hostess, who I didn't know very well, not, not just tell her, just ask her if she wanted to receive Jesus. And I thought to myself, I can't do that. I don't even know her very well. I mean, I know her name's Julia, but that's about it. I mean, she's there behind the counter. What am I supposed to do? Like kind of walk up and be like, hey, Julia. How's it going? Now, this is odd. But no joke, in the lobby of Tommy Bahamas restaurant, all I did was simply ask her, I said, hey, Julia, do you want to give your life to Jesus? I think after I said that, I couldn't believe that I had just said that. I remember I was like 22 years old, and she just looked at me very simply without even a question asked and said, yes, I'd like to receive Jesus. I've been thinking about that. And right there in the lobby of Tommy Bahamas was able to lead her to the Lord. It wasn't about how it's received. It's just a matter of you delivering it. Did I need to lay out all of these things? Now, you may have a conversation where you're going to talk to somebody about sin and about forgiveness and about how people get to heaven. And there's a time for that. But you never know what the Lord is doing in the other person's life because it's not about how it's received. It's about you being faithful to deliver it. And so throughout my life, just as a personal note, hopefully to encourage you too, and I'm sure you have your own stories, but throughout my life, there's been random stopping, you know, as I'm driving at bus stations, convenience stores, even at the, the gym. I don't know if any of you remember what that place is. It's a place we used to exercise at, where the Lord would just allow conversations to come up. And then you would be, I mean, you'd be blown away. You start talking about truth and about life and about how it pertains to the individual. And it's almost like every weight just starts moving in slow move. And they're just listening like, what are they saying? So hard work. Keeping the main thing the main thing were all hallmarks of Paul's character and ministry. And thirdly, in verse 10, they behave themselves. This is huge. Ah, Christians that behave themselves. What do you know? In verse 10 and 11, he says, You are witnesses and God also. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Now listen. There is nothing, I think, more devastating to the message of the gospel than when Christians don't behave like Christ. In the workplace, the Christian could be just as unethical as maybe their unsaved co-workers. In their leisure time, they, they could be just as ungodly as their unsaved neighbors. People that are not followers of Jesus, they actually, I don't know if you realize this or not, they pay particular attention as to how professing Christians behave themselves. If you've ever had one of your non-Christian friends or coworkers or acquaintances say, oh, I thought you were a Christian. That's a, that's a low blow. 
Sometimes non-Christians know more about what it means to be a Christian than Christians do. Sort of like when you bump your head on that covered corner in the work break room. Or when you get cut off during rush hour with your carpool group. Or when you've been waiting a long time for your food at Wahoo's, not realizing that the cashier goes to your church. And the only reason why they're at your church is because they're actually not a Christian and they were invited by one of their Christian co-workers who wasn't working at the time you were there. See, Paul recounts, and by so doing, I think he instructs us on how Christians should be living. Blamelessly. The adverbs used here are these. Devoutly, justly, and blamelessly. That's how their behavior is described. And as a good father, three things. They encouraged, they consoled, and they taught. And what a word for parents or even dads, particularly today, that we'd be men that would encourage our sons and daughters, not just get on them. That we would comfort them when they're hurting and show compassion. For compassion isn't a sissy la-la thing. It's not sissy la-la stuff. Jesus showed compassion. That we would console and have compassion and that we would teach our children, as it says in verse 12, that you may walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is where we're concluding today. Otherwise, I'd die of dehydration. Sometimes I believe that it's hard to communicate adequately what it means to walk worthy. And this is where we're going to wrap up. How do you properly communicate to someone, walk worthy of your calling, or walk worthy of the kingdom of God, or walk worthy of what you have been given? Well, there are two other churches that Paul wrote to where he included, where he included the phrase, walk worthy. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, he writes, he writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you, he says, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. To the church in Colossae, so Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, he says that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Now listen to this, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We truly need to have, I think, in order to walk worthy, I think we first need to have a sense of our own unworthiness. If we truly want to walk worthy of the calling that God has upon our life, then I think really, you know, with all the things going around in the world today and in pop culture that try to tell you that you are enough, uh, you need to love yourself. uh, Listen, that is one of the most unbiblical things that you could ever hear. You don't need to love yourself more. I think we love ourselves enough, and that's actually a major problem for most people that you don't realize. Also, you're not enough to be pleasing in the sight of God. Once you receive Jesus Christ, that's enough. You can come to Jesus as you are. Absolutely. But we, in order to walk worthy of our calling, must realize that we are unworthy in and of ourselves and that we've been given a great privilege to be called his child and to be forgiven of all of our sins. So I don't think we can walk worthy of God's calling until we fully appreciate what it costs 
So recognizing our unworthiness and then recognizing the cost would be, I think, something described as having gratitude. As a side note, I think that entitlement and the lack of gratitude, even with upcoming generations, has brought a lot of problems upon our country. But that's for another time. So because of what my forgiveness and salvation costs, and because I didn't deserve such a great blessing, but rather great judgment, I want to live my life making the most of what I have been given by God. Walking worthy. How we walk worthy of the calling of the Lord stems from gratitude, but really has been defined for us, and this is where we'll close in our study today, has been defined for us by the character of Paul the Apostle. This is how I think we can practically put some steps into walking worthy of the calling that God has on all of our lives. These three things. One, work hard for the glory of God. Number two, use your platform to preach the gospel and lead people to Jesus. And number three, behave yourself in such a way that your message may not be tainted or lose its power because God has called you into his kingdom and his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you again, Lord, for all of your blessings. We thank you for this passage of scripture, Lord, really just defining for us maybe some things that we can apply to our own lives. Lord, I pray for the church, Lord, that you would bless your people. I pray, Lord, that you would add your blessing as we have read and studied and applied your word. And Lord, I just want to ask that if there are any here today, Lord, or maybe somebody that might listen to this podcast later on down the road that do not know you. Maybe at one time in their life they were walking with you, they backslid and they've walked away. Maybe they have family members that are Christians, Lord, but they've never decided for themselves to follow you. Lord, maybe there have been some things that have gotten their attention, Lord. Maybe there's some people here that have had their world shaken, and now they realize how important it is to have a relationship with the God who created them. Whatever the case may be, Lord, I ask that right now you would draw every one of your sons and daughters to you. And with every eye closed and head bowed, if that's you here and you know that you need to get right with Jesus today, then with every eye closed and head bowed, I'm going to ask that if you know that that's you and that you need to be forgiven of your sins and you need to start a new relationship with God today, then would you just raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. I'd like to dedicate or rededicate my life to Jesus. Church, just please be praying and then hold your hand up because I'd like to pray for you and lead you in a very simple prayer. For those of you that raised your hands, maybe those of you that did not, If you're here this morning and you're listening to this and you know that you need to get right with God, then very simply, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. And I'm going to ask that you would repeat it after me and mean it in your heart as you pray this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I've sinned, but I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you love me even knowing everything about me. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I thank you that you have forgiven me of all my sin. 
Would you fill me with your love and your joy and your peace? And give me your strength that I may be who you've created me to be. For I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand. If you prayed that prayer today, if you prayed that prayer today, we'd love to connect with you, help you as you start this new walk with the Lord. We have our elders, our leadership team. You can even head back to the information booth. If you came with somebody, tell them, hey, you know what? I prayed that prayer to rededicate or dedicate my life to Jesus. And we'd love to help you jumpstart your walk with the Lord today. So church, we're going to be here. We have this booked through until October. So plan on rolling deep, bringing your friends. Next time we have a lot of shade up here in the front. If you've been on the outskirts and kind of get in the back of your head burnt, just think next time you can push up a little bit further. There's a lot more shade. Uh, Yet you will be rocking out if you hit these first little rows right here. But maybe that's for you. I know it's for me. I like it. But anyway, today, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Let's give a round of applause and get ready to worship the Lord. Let's close with worship.